Today's podcast is sponsored by the people at Aura.com. Now, Aura offers identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all in one easy-to-use app. This means that if your online accounts or passwords are leaked online, you'll be alerted quickly, which means that you can be secure from hackers, scammers, and noisy advertising companies. The narcissists are everywhere. Literally, a friend of mine signed up and Aura found his passwords nine times on the dark web. So go to Aura.com slash Dr. Carter. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash D-R Carter. And use my link and you'll receive a free 14-day trial. And if you continue, then you'll be able to save an additional 40% off all plans. So thanks to the people at Aura.com for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the Surviving Narcissism podcast. This is Michelle, the program director, and I would like to start this episode with a short introduction. For those of you new to this podcast, Surviving Narcissism is the product of many years of work done by Dr. Les Carter. Dr. Carter is a best-selling author and therapist with more than 40 years of experience specializing in anger management and narcissistic personality disorder. This week, Dr. C's topic will be Healing Words from Surviving Narcissism's Team Healthy. Hey, Team Healthy. I'm so pleased to be with you here another time. You know that one of the things I want to do is provide you words of encouragement and uh, healing and support. And today we have a special podcast. It's one I've been looking forward to recording for quite some time. And the reason is this podcast is brought to you by you. (laughs) Many of you know that on my Surviving Narcissism YouTube channel, uh, each Wednesday I do a live feed where I respond to questions that have been sent in through the week. And by the way, if you're not familiar with that, tune in every Wednesday. It's live and then we keep it taped as well. It's in the video section there on the the YouTube channel. But I ask people on, uh, on one particular program to please send me some comments that reflected their words And specifically, the question is, what is it that you have learned in your own personal life that has helped you find healing from some of the very difficult relationships you've had with narcissistic individuals? And I was absolutely flooded with comments. And I had so many that I, there are just many that I was unable to share in the next week. So I'm going to share some of the comments that were sent in to me with you. And these are specific words of healing that people in my audience have have shared, and there's so much wisdom here. So I'm going. I have a lot here, and I'm going to go through uh, multiples of them. And I'm hoping that these would be words that you would find to be uh, pertinent to your life. Now, the first comment that I'm reading here is one person just wrote in and said, "I learned to become a friend to myself." All right, let's just pause right there. So many times, narcissists are so willing to let you know that you don't have what it takes or there's something wrong with you. Sometimes they isolate you. So when this person says, I learned to become a friend of myself, it's like, you know, I don't know that I need to listen to all that chatter that the narcissist is trying to put into my ear and and, uh, get inside my head. I like myself and I'm going to trust myself. That's what I hear from that comment. Another person wrote in, I took responsibility for my past problems with the narcissist 
and I was gentle on myself as I saw clearly the part I had played. Instead of being harsh for the parts I didn't like in me, I could see where they came from. I had been naive and insecure, but now I'm more determined than ever to be stable. Again, one of the things that I could say to that is so many times you can uh, respond to narcissists by pointing the finger of blame at them, and sometimes they give you quite a bit of material to work with, but at some point it's good to say, you know, what am I learning about me? And instead of looking outward, you can look inward. That's what this person is illustrating. Another person says, I'm in my early 30s. And it struck me that that I had passed my narcissistic father years ago in emotional maturity. It made me realize that he will never be part of my healing, but I have all the tools necessary inside myself. And I'm so pleased to hear of somebody in their early 30s. And the way I put it is your best thinking doesn't even happen in life till after 40, but because uh, by then you have a couple of years of, um, excuse me, a couple of decades of adulting. And it's in those 20s and 30s that you can start thinking, you know, what's this all about and who am I and where am I going? And so as you pull your thoughts and ideas together, over time, they can coagulate and you can be quite skilled in building upon your own worldview. This person is like, you know, I need to move beyond where my family of origin had led me. The next person says, I used to think I was too old and too jaded to change. I'm 66. But a therapist challenged me that it's never too late to get your act together. Okay, so this one comes on the heels of the one that's in the 30s, and uh, the person in their 60s says, well, I don't know if I can change. But a therapist basically must have said something to the effect of, well, who told you that? Uh, Growth doesn't ever have to stop. And in fact, when you're in your 50s and 60s and beyond, you actually uh, are more inclined towards what we refer to as legacy thinking. And when you think about legacy thinking, you're considering, you know, how do I want to be known from here on out? As I age and as people come up and get to know me and review my life, what are they going to see? And so what kind of legacy am I going to have? And I hope that that's something you can lean into. Another person writes in, For the last two years, I've been in a recovery group. Sometimes I don't have much to say, but it energizes me to know that I'm not the only one who has hurt, and we are allies for each other, and we find our way. I realize I'm not alone. All right, let's pause on that one. How many times have you thought, nobody would understand me? I don't know if I would ever be able to find people that could take the time or would be willing to take the time to slow down and hear my story. Well, this person indicates, well, I found a group. I hope that's something you can do if that's a need. Now, another one, this is a very brief comment, but another person writes in, I let myself feel hurt. And then I'm going to throw another comment on uh, that's right behind this one. This next person, and by the way, this is from one of my favorite uh, viewers who's from Australia. This person says, I've learned to embrace the pain. Pain lets you know something is wrong. Pain keeps you alert, and it reminds you of your past and prepares you for your future. It keeps your mind sharp. It enhances your empathy for others in the same situation. And when it's over, you can appreciate being pain-free. Okay, that's one that I want to type up and frame in a gold frame. Way to go. You know, pain does exist, 
But then the uh, the question is, why does it exist? And pain is, uh, C.S. Lewis used to call it God's megaphone. It's it's uh, it's it's there to alert you that something is definitely wrong. Okay, what is that something? What am I going to do with it? Another person writes in, when you realize that holding on to pain is so much greater than the pain of removing a toxic person out of your life, then you know that it's time to let go. And that's what that pain uh, uh, communicated to this individual. You know, it's time. I, I need to remove myself from what's creating the pain. Now, another person writes in, and I like this one too. Narcissists hate it when you respect yourself and when you set personal boundaries. But I do both anyway. No explanation needed. Whenever you set boundaries, the narcissist typically is going to push back. Whenever you show that you have a regard for yourself, the narcissist may be inclined to criticize or mock. You know, at some point, you just consider the source, don't you? And this person says, well, I'm going to go ahead and love myself, and I'm going to set personal boundaries, and I don't have to explain myself. No defense necessary. Another person writes in, I've learned that other people's happiness is not my responsibility. Now, once again, let's go back into the mind of the narcissist. One of the things that they see in you is they see you as a potential for narcissistic supply. In other words, narcissists want you to prop them up and to make them feel good about yourself, which is why they try to control you. <laughs> they, they do a really lousy job of it. You know, they, they uh, want you to prop them up and then they criticize you. This person says, you know what? Maybe that's just not my responsibility. You're responsible for you, not me. I like that. How about this next one? Another person writes in, we should try to live well each day. Exercise, enjoy a hobby. Self-care can be anything you enjoy, like reading, a massage, walking, watching a TV show or a YouTube video. I like that part. I choose to surround myself with good people who are positive and make life enjoyable. Live your life. Live a good life. So well stated. Self-care. Now, this next one, and this one is probably, this, this one, along with my Australia comment, this may be my other best one that I have here to read. This person says, I'm determined to not be like most people and become calloused, bitter, snarky, hateful, vengeful, obnoxious, or annoying towards the narcissist that I deal with. I will not talk poorly of them. I will not be purposely mean to them. I will not treat them the way they treat me. I will not be their doormat, nor will I let them twist the truth to make me seem, look, or feel that I'm the one with character problems. Okay, that's so rich there. It's, it is possible when you've been exposed to people who have been nothing but condescending toward you to hold on to that bitter spirit. But this person says, you know, I, I can't afford to do that. I'm not going to go into that space. And, I, and one of my greatest themes in my, in my work with people who are dealing with these narcissistic individuals is do not let that narcissist set your pace. That's what I'm reading right here. And she does a very good job. I know who this one is too. Okay, another person says, listen to their intent. And this is uh, speaking about watching the narcissist. 
I'm open to trust and love and vulnerability until I sense an insensitivity or undermining, invalidation, self-serving directive, willful argument, and an unyielding spirit. And then I change my perspective from self-analysis and growth of a relationship to this person's now very interesting. Why do they think and feel the way they do? Okay, another great comment there. You know, so many times when you have good intentions, this person says, I want to be a trusting person. I want to love and I want to have vulnerability. And then that other person doesn't seem to know how to reciprocate. One of the biggest temptations we can fall into in an unhealthy way is we can fall into the pleading and the coaxing and the coerciveness. You know, why are you doing this to me? Can't you see that this is not going well? And this person is basically saying, well, when I finally realize I'm, I keep running into a brick wall, then this individual is saying more or less, I need to use some empathy. There's a reason this person is treating me so poorly. I wonder what that individual's backstory is. Now, as a therapist, that was one of the biggest questions that I would carry with me in so many conversations. When people would come into my office and talk with me about all the troubles they got themselves into, and many times I would find out that it was self-induced, inevitably, it's not like maybe 100% of the time, there's a reason behind all of that. It's not, it just didn't arise out of a vacuum. And so the person that makes this comment is more or less saying, you know, I want to know who this person is. Why are they the way they are? And it's not a way of excusing them. It's not a way of saying, well, I, you know, I guess I'll just have to bow to that. But it's a way of, of saying, when I know what's going on in the heart of someone who's very difficult, it allows for objectivity. And he didn't use that word, but that's what we're talking about. Narcissists want to keep you subjectively engaged. And by that, I mean when your feelings and when your neediness or when your hurt is driving your responses to them, then that gives them a whole lot that they can use and manipulate. But when you have objectivity and you know there's something else going on here and it's not about me because that narcissist is going to carry those same ingredients to other individuals, that objectivity allows you to have the therefore moment. Knowing this, therefore, I'm going to respond differently it's not about me, it's about who they are, and it's about so much of their unfinished business. Now, another comment that was written in, this person says, and I love this one too, I've actually used this phrase before, your evaluation of your self-worth is not a committee decision, so stop letting them have a vote. Wonderful advice. Now, Another thing that we can say about narcissism is they want to destroy your sense of self-worth. Narcissists have a need to be superior. That's part of the defining feature. And oddly, one of the ways that they uh, try to find their superiority is they have to have a foil. And that's where you come in. It's like, well, if I can find somebody who's lower than me, if I can find somebody who's just one big, huge screw-up waiting to happen, and that would happen to be you, that makes me feel good about myself. So they actually make a point to let you know you're not worth anything. You don't have what it takes. 
I don't know what's in your head, but it's all wrong. And so they want to stomp all over your self-worth. And this person says, I'm not giving them a vote. In my mind, as a therapist, uh, I would start with the notion that says, worth is not something that you earn. It's not something you go to a store and purchase. It's on the inside of you literally, literally from day one in your life. Worth is your birthright. And uh, over the years, you may have some people that can speak into that worth well and help you see it and discover it. Or through the years, you may have people who uh, take your sense of worth and stomp all over it. But either way, your worth remains what it is. Another little thing that I like to say, uh, just kind of an analogy. Let's suppose that on your day of birth, you were allotted 100 units of worth. Okay, And then the years go by. You're 10 years old or 20 or 30 or 50, and you've had many different experiences now, some successes, some failures, some good connections, some bad connections, emotions all over the place. And so here you are at a much later stage in life. You started out with 100 units of worth. Now, at this stage in life, how many units of worth do you have? And many people will want to tie it to their achievements and all, but my answer is you still have 100 units of worth. It just simply is. It's not tied to your performance. It's not tied to the vote. It's not tied to others' opinions. It simply is. Lean into your worth, every bit of it. And if a person says, I don't acknowledge it, then it's like, okay, you don't acknowledge it, but my worth exists nonetheless. Wonderful words of wisdom from this uh, viewer that we have. On our website, survivingnarcissism.tv, we offer various courses. One of them is entitled, This is Me, Establishing Boundaries Despite the Controllers in Your Life. Inside each of my courses, I break it down into modules, and then each module consists of various lessons that have a video, written materials, and questions for personal reflection. And inside This is Me, we talk about uh, defining who you want to be and then staying inside that definition. We discuss assertiveness skills, how to stay strong without being defensive. If you would be interested in, in enrolling in this course or any of the others that we have, go to our website, click the courses link, and you'll receive all the information for how you can enroll. I hope you would find them to be quite helpful. And now, back to Surviving Narcissism with Dr. Carter. Another person writes in. This person says, the narcissist in my past was simply not nice. And it goes on to say, she was mean. Then I had to admit that I had become that way too. I really like being able to see how I can take the better path. Okay, now, right there, when, when she says, this person in my past was not nice, she was simply mean, many people can park on that and then they can obsess. Why do they have to be this way? What's wrong with them? I hate it when they treat me this way. But this person says, you know what? Let's take this a little bit further. I'm capable of being mean myself, but I don't want to join that person in the mentality that goes along with all of that. I'm going to move on to something that's much better. And so uh, this person just says, I like being able to see how I can take the better path. Great advice. I hope that's something you're able to latch on to as well. 
Now, another one, and this, this kind of goes into the educational realm. This person says, understanding what a trauma bond is has helped me uh, to heal from my hurt. Now, I've, I've actually done some videos and talking on the whole concept of trauma bond. When we talk about a trauma bond, what we mean is you've, you've been in a relationship with someone who brings a lot of woundedness to you. But instead of saying, enough, I can't deal with this, you stay hooked in that relationship because of or with that hurt very much intact. And you wind up either um, uh, falling into de despair and depression or anxiety or anger. All of that emotion keeps you tethered to that person. That's what we mean when we say bond, a trauma bond. And then as you begin to engage with other individuals away from that person, then you begin thinking, well, what if they knew all about me and all my mistakes? And again, that's that trauma bond. So much of who you are is filtered through the one who has belittled you. This person says, I need to understand what a trauma bond is, and that will help me. Because when you see that you've been trauma bonded, uh, but then you realize, wait a minute, I can get away from this. I can remove myself from that. And whatever that person has said to me and the, the philosophies and the ideologies that they've tried to put into my head, I can refute that. I have a mind of my own. I have a free will of my own. I'm going to lean into that. That's what understanding can do. And to this person that wrote that in, it's like, keep learning and go get them. Now, another person, speaking of trauma bonding, well, one of the things I mentioned is sometimes you stay bonded to a narcissist through your anger. This person says, let your anger guide you to self-awareness, which reminds you of who they really are. And again, a wonderful word of wisdom there. Um, many of you have heard me talk about anger. Anger is actually tied to your sense of self-preservation. When you feel angry with somebody, it's because they, they're putting you down. They're dismissing you or they're treating you in, an, uh, in a poor way. And so your anger is your way of saying, hey, would you please treat me uh, as a worthy individual? Would you please acknowledge my needs and my convictions? And so the anger can have a healthy function to it. Typically, most people, when they feel angry, it's not very healthy. And so this person says, well, I'm going to listen to what my anger is trying to say. And it's going to become my guide and with my self-awareness about that healthy form of anger, then it's going to remind me of who I can be. And then it allows me to see that other narcissistic person for who they are. They're stuck in their sense of you know striving and I'm not going to be stuck with them and I'm not going to be tethered to them through my anger. And by the way, that doesn't mean you don't have assertiveness and boundaries. You can still maintain that. I like that. Okay, another person says, my dignity took a hit, but finally I had to quit caring about him to not feel anything at all and just go on to no contact. So this person, again, like that one with the, uh, the person that says my worth is what it is, it's like, you know, I, I cared too much about what this other individual says and I, I had to just leave it alone. Step aside, go no contact. I can't make somebody believe something they're not predisposed to want to believe, I'm moving on. Sometimes you know, when you hear people like me say, no contact can be a good thing, it's, it's, what, it's, my, it's my psychological math. My psychological math says sometimes you, uh, you add through subtraction. Okay, just cogitate on that one, all right? Now this person says, well, at work, 
I wear earphones while I'm on the computer. I also try to be in a different room as much as possible. Okay. You know, people can say, well, what do you do with a narcissist at work? And it's kind of like, well, we all show up and we have to work in the same space with each other. And it, it may not be that you can just go get you a new job that pays you what you need and all the stuff that's tied to it. This person's like, well, if I have to take uh, measures to block that person out, I'm willing to do so. And that's part of that self-care. It's kind of sad that you have to think that way. But at some point, it's like somebody needs to take care of me. And I nominate me to be the chairperson of that committee. Now, another one. This person says, I love to use the energy of anger to look deeply into the situation until I get it. Then uh, what it means is I have, I've learned to refocus. Okay. So this person is also saying something very similar. The anger is there. What's going on? Why, is, why am I feeling that way? And then instead of just staying tied to that anger, refocus. I, I, I really like that. There, there's a term that I use. I call it your higher priorities. There are times when you need to act upon your anger. True. But then there are times when you need to ask, what are my higher priorities? Because I don't want to stay angry at that narcissist forever. Well, the higher priorities can include characteristics like patience or self-acceptance or calm firmness. I'm going to that. That's the refocus. Okay, how about this one? And th this is one that I've spoken on uh, YouTube uh, about, and it, it's something that I believe in dearly. This person says, I'm learning more about radical acceptance. That's meant giving up ideology and platitudes that don't work with a narcissist. And then it frees me to be even more empathetic with the narcissist. Now, this one's huge. When we talk about radical acceptance, we're not talking about condoning. We're not talking about saying, oh, well, you know, no big deal, because it is a big deal. What we are talking about is letting go, this person refers to it as uh, an ideology and platitudes, letting go of ideals that simply aren't going to come true. For example, how many times, if it's the person you live with or someone in your extended family or work, how many times do you start your thoughts with the phrase, I just wish. <laughs> I just wish this person would quit being so argumentative. Or why can't they? Why can't they just be more friendly or cooperative? Well, ask those questions, make those statements all day long, and then at the end of the day, they still are what they are. Radical acceptance says, I accept the fact that that person can be argumentative or insensitive or uncaring. They can be manipulators. They can run smear campaigns against me. They can actually turn people against me. All the wishing in the world can, can, uh, can run through my mind, and they still are what they are. I need to accept that. Now what? And so what it means is, I, 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 as best as I can, I'm going to have to individualize my sense of well-being. That's what radical acceptance does for you. And this person is working into that. And by the way, this is not a, an overnight kind of a proposition. This is something that you have to work on over and over. It's not easy. Okay, how about this next one? I've learned to accept that you won't or don't or won't have a relationship or friendship with them. It's merely a series of transactions. Narcissists are transactional. They don't see you as a relationship. They see you as somebody to use. 
And then how about this last one? And, and I'm, I'm going to, this is a good one to end on here today. This person writes, what I've learned from dealing with a narcissist is narcissists can't bring themselves up to the level of an authentic person. They don't know how. So they try everything in their power to bring the authentic person down to their level. They will never stop being the way they are, and that's fine. But equally, I will never stop being the way I am. They don't seek my permission to be who they are, so I'm not going to start I'm not going to continue seeking their permission to be who I am. Wonderful words of wisdom there. Narcissists are not authentic. They live behind the shield of their false self. And when we say that, focus on the word false. Uh, they're not honest with themselves about who they are. So why in the world would you think that they'd be honest about who you are? Seeing that, it's like, I'm going to go into a different path. Now, actually, there are many more. And may, I may do another podcast with some more of these words of healing. There are many more things that people have written in. But these are people that are in your position. And when I say you, my audience there's wisdom out there that you can access and you can attain and it can come from within yourself. And like these people who have written in to me and shared these thoughts, I'm hoping you too can ask yourself, what am I learning in all these various experiences that I've had with very difficult people? And instead of just merely going into a blaming mode, I think it's, a, it's okay at times to say, I feel this and, and I you know I don't apologize for it. But at some point, you want to get to that point of saying, who am I? And given what I've experienced with this individual, what are my much cleaner alternatives? That's what we do here on Team Healthy. You know that one of my mantras is Dr. C. DRC stands for Dignity, Respect, and Civility. And that's not just a slogan. I mean that down to the core of my being. I want to commit myself to that. I know that many of you, based on these comments, are committing yourselves to a very similar kind of a mindset. So take the words that we have here today cogitate on them if you want to go back and re-listen to it so that you can, because I'm guessing you're going to pick up on some that uh, may not have uh, hit you right away on the first go around. But let's make sure that we're a place here on Team Healthy where we, we learn, we anticipate what the better alternative is, and then we live into it. So thanks for listening today. I so appreciate you allowing me to be on your journey with you. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Surviving Narcissism. We are glad to have you on Team Healthy.